0: Hello and welcome to the first of two classes on colonial policing. The first session is gonna be about colonial policing in Britain's empire. And the second half is gonna be how colonial policing came home to the British mainland in the 1980s. As many of you probably know already, Britain had the largest empire in human history. And in the 19th and early first half of the 20th century, it ruled over nearly a third of the planet. But over the course of about two or three decades, Britain's empire spread across North America and the Caribbean, Australia and New Zealand, much of the African continents. South Asia, a lot of Southeast Asia, and even had a lot of colonial incursions into East Asia as well, today's China. But what was empire for? So empire was for maybe two or three or four different things. Principally, it was economic. Right. So Britain was making a huge amount of money in places like North America um, and the Caribbean for its slave colonies. Right. In islands like Jamaica right? or in the United States before it got its independence. It also made huge amounts of money in South Asia and places like India and what later became Bangladesh, Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Right? Huge amounts of money from the resources there. It also made loads of money from the resources from the African continent itself, places like Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa and Kenya that we'll learn about later. And it also made money from Australia and New Zealand and as well as parts of Southeast Asia, such as Malaysia. But there was a problem, of course, right, because you've got huge numbers of people in these places where Britain is trying to exploit them whether it be through slave labor in the Americas or exploiting people in in Asia um, and, and Africa and elsewhere. And you've also got huge amounts of resources, right, whether it be gold or diamonds or timber or spices or cotton, all of this kind of stuff. Right. And so in order to control these very large populations, in order to exploit millions of people, Britain needed a very sophisticated, and at times very violent police force. So Britain's police force, before it became known as the police, was used to control and discipline um, and help to exploit people, not simply on Britain's mainland, here on this island we call Britain, but across Britain's vast empire. In fact, the majority of British policing historically hasn't taken place here in Britain. Historically, most of Britain's policing has taken place in the Caribbean, in Africa and in Asia. And so it's, it's, where, so it's in those parts of the world where I think we should begin our story of better, to better understand British policing and how it has come to shape um, both racism and anti-racism in the 21st century. so we could use loads of different case studies if we wanted to look at british uh, policing we could look at the policing of britain's slave colonies in the caribbean or people being exploited um, across uh, south asia or elsewhere but i think we're going to focus on one particular place for today's class and that's going to be the british colony of kenya so kenya um, is based um, on the east coast of africa it's placed between countries like tanzania um, and uganda and Kenya is a bit like South Africa, even though we don't often think about it like South Africa. And it's what we call a settler colony. And a settler colony is different to other kinds of colonies. Settler colonies are colonies where large numbers of people go and settle and live in that new colony. So for instance, South Africa, lots of Europeans, including lots of British people, moved from Britain, moved from Europe, and went to live in South Africa, Right, which is why there's a large white South African population today. And what that set of colonialism does is it moves all of and forces the indigenous people, the local African population, off their land, particularly if they have the best land, the best agricultural land, the most profitable land, and they replace those people um, with European settlers. And through that process in places like South Africa, but also importantly, Kenya as well, the European colonial power sets up a system of apartheid. Some of you might be familiar with apartheid in South Africa, which um, fell in 1994. And the system of apartheid means that white people are allowed to access the best schools, um, the best housing, the best jobs, the best healthcare and all the other resources. Whereas black people are banned from accessing good housing and decent schooling and good jobs. And so in colonial Kenya in the 19th and first half of the 20th century, white people were able to access the best land, the best schools, the best jobs, the best resources and black people were banned from accessing uh, skilled or professional jobs. They they had to attend separate schools to white people if they were able to attend school at all. And most of the jobs that they did were working on the land which was owned by white people in Kenya. And I'm sure many of you are are probably familiar with people like Nelson Mandela and the ANC and their battle against apartheid in South Africa. But Kenya has a similar story as well against British apartheid. And people in in Kenya rose up in the 1950s and 60s to challenge the apartheid system, um, which was being imposed on them by the British, demanding not only an an end to apartheid, but importantly also independence for Kenya. Britain wasn't very happy about this and they needed to control this anti-colonial and this anti-apartheid movement in Kenya. And so they came up with Three broad strategies as to how they were going to control this massive population of people in Kenya who were challenging the British power of both apartheid and colonialism. The first thing they did was they identified a suspect community. They said there was a certain section of Kenyan society which they were suspicious of as being the root cause of the uprising, of the rebellion of anti-colonialism. And this group of people were called the Kukuyu, right? And this is a particular ethnic group living within the colonial borders of Kenya. The second thing they said they needed to do once they'd identified this suspect community was to impose surveillance on them, right? To monitor them, to watch them closely. And while there, there wasn't CCTV cameras like we have today, which is often used to monitor people, what they had instead had to do was set up a series of checkpoints. Um, so that would be at certain places, maybe at bridges or um, at the entrance to cities or towns or, uh, or major roads, they would set up a checkpoint where anyone passing through would have to show identification, would have to be searched, would have to be questioned, one of the other things they would do is they would contain large communities of Kukuyu people. That, that means moving them from one, one particular area where they might live or work um, or reside and putting them in a fenced community surrounded by barbed wire fences um, uh, where there's only one entrance where um, the, the British police could monitor them more closely. The third thing they did was a form of collective punishment. So even if one or two Kukuyu people had been found guilty of an offence, if the British had deemed them to be engaged in a form of violent rebellion against apartheid and colonialism, the Kukuyu people would be collectively punished. Everyone would be punished. And we saw collective punishments through mass arrests. So hundreds, if not thousands of people being arrested and imprisoned um, without trial um, and for indefinite periods of time for years at a time but also we saw people being deported moved from one place to another on mass so large numbers of Kakuyu people in kenya being moved from the cities where they lived and worked out into more rural areas or they were moved from one rural area where they um, might be working in agriculture and farming and moved to another area right so deportation was a really powerful um, uh, tool of control by the British colonial police. And another, in most in the most extreme cases, in places like Kenya, used by the British, another tool was violence. In Britain's colonies, we saw uh, violent tactics of policing that includes the use of poison gas, whether it be pepper spray or CS spray or other kinds of poison gas. You saw the use of guns very often. So the British police, as we know, historically haven't used Um, arms or guns on the British mainland, but they have always used guns in their colonies and Kenya was no exception. So the shooting of people and the use of guns to to impose violence upon the Kenyan people was very common as it was in all of Britain's other colonies. And finally, in places like Kenya and a few other colonies, torture and forced labor was used as well. And this was particularly used when when Britain were worried that their power was going to be challenged. And during anti-colonial and anti-apartheid uprisings like those um, in Kenya in the 1950s and 60s, Britain imposed violent torture and forced labor in the prison camps that it set up for tens of thousands of Kenyan people. So if we think about the different ways in which the British empire operated, Not only was it a system of economic exploitation to make Britain a wealthy nation, to make it one of the richest nations on the planet, but empire was also a system of control. It was a system that enabled Britain to control large areas of the world's land and its populations as well as its resources. But the final thing that's really important about the British Empire was that it was an empire of ideas. And one of the ideas that Britain liked to tell itself that it spread across the world were humanitarian ideas. Britain liked, liked to tell itself that it was a place that brought civilization to the world, that brought education to the world, that brought ideas of um, democracy and freedom and fairness. But of course, when we look at the British Empire we see something quite different, don't we? We see that Britain was one of the largest slave trading nations in human history. We see that Britain was involved in the exploitation of people across Africa and Asia and we saw that Britain used extreme forms of violence that it wouldn't necessarily use against its own people in order to control those populations in Africa and Asia and the Caribbean. And so there's a contradiction here between the ideals that Britain considers itself um, to, uh, it identifies with itself, British values, and the reality of the British Empire and how it treated um, and exploited and controlled and used violence against the peoples of Africa and Asia and the Caribbean. And the way in which it's reconciled that contradiction between British values of freedom and fairness and justice. And the reality of the British Empire of exploitation, of control and violence was through race. Racism was the way in which Britain reconciled the contradiction between the values it likes to tell itself um, that it spread around the world and the reality of the violence and exploitation of the British Empire. And so racism became so endemic and so fundamental to British governance, to British policing of places like Kenya, as we've seen today, but also many other parts um, of the world. Then it came to play a really important role in how British policing took place on the mainland itself. And in the next class, we're going to think a little bit about how these racist ideas that justified the violence and exploitation of people across the Caribbean and Asia and Africa, including Kenya, as we learn today, came to also influence British policing in the second half of the 20th century as people from Britain's colonies in Africa and Asia and the Caribbean began to migrate to Britain in significant numbers in um, the second half of the 20th century and how racism didn't just take place in Britain's colonies through slavery and exploitation and the violence of the British Empire, but racism also came to mark Britain on the mainland and affect the migrants communities who settled in Britain in significant numbers in the post-war period.